Topical cream, a pod listener's dream. Unfucking the news and current events. Topical cream, yeah, you know what I mean. A quarter of an hour gets you our two cents. Topical cream. Congratulations, America. We have yet another self-inflicted debt ceiling crisis on our hands. The last time we were in this mess was 2011, when a Democratic president was dealing with the fallout of a Republican administration that went hog-wild on spending after cutting taxes. Everything old is new again in the good old U.S. of A. The last time we faced a grudge match over raising the debt ceiling, the Tea Party band of the Republican Party had just taken over the U.S. Congress. This wing tried to tie the annual raising of the national debt to social spending despite these two things having nothing to do with one another. In effect, the argument then, as it is today, essentially went like this. We won't allow the Treasury Department to borrow more money to pay for existing debt until you slash spending down the line potentially risking, you know, your grandmother's health care and making it harder for poor people to live. It's funny how defense spending never enters the picture at a time like this. Anywho, fun fact, Congress has acted on the debt ceiling 78 separate times since 1960, according to the Treasury Department, 29 times under a Democratic president, and 49 times under a Republican. So that MSNBC talking point that you've probably heard ad nauseum is actually true. During the Tea Party reign of terror in Congress, three prominent figures who called themselves the Young Guns, yes, they actually called themselves that, were Paul Ryan, Eric Cantor, and Kevin McCarthy. That Kevin McCarthy. These were Ayn Rand acolytes who believed in a balanced budget and that all entitlements should be privatized. They were instrumental in forcing then-Speaker John Boehner to play a ruthless game of chicken with President Obama over the debt ceiling. So McCarthy is the lone survivor in Congress of the Young Guns and going back to the 2011 playbook, pledging to cut Social Security, Medicare, and the IRS as part of a broader strategy to reduce spending. Of course, McCarthy and his allies have not publicly released their plan to avoid a default, nor have they acknowledged that Trump had the, quote, third biggest primary deficit growth in history, according to ProPublica, behind only George W. Bush, who started two wars, and Abraham Lincoln, who was paying for the Civil War. Biden, as it stands, has dismissed the premise that such negotiations be contingent on government spending, so that's a good thing. But as this fight drags on, there are a few things worth dissecting. First, let's be clear. The looming debt crisis is not the same as a government shutdown. In fact, it's worse. While a shutdown is seemingly more chaotic because we can actually see the impact firsthand, the furloughing of workers and the shutdown of parks and other services, for example, a default could do terrible things to the economy and make life miserable for people who rely on social programs like Medicare and Social Security. Another thing, we have to demystify the whole concept of public debt. There's this notion that because China holds so much of our debt, it can theoretically tank the U.S. economy at any time. We'll get into that a little later, but just know that the Chinese economy and the manufacturing hub that it created owe a lot of success to our debt. So it's essentially been a win-win for both sides, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But finally... What the hell is the point of this anyway? The broader fight is largely built on the fallacy of balanced budgets, a duty that the federal government isn't obligated to perform. 
And even that premise is flawed, considering that historical data show that the economy has experienced more expansion in the decades following the so-called balanced budget period. So what gives? So let's start with some basics. The federal government consistently runs a deficit, meaning its expenses outpaces its revenue. In fact, the U.S. hasn't had an annual surplus since 2001, and we all know what happened in the ensuing years, a recession. Since that time, the federal debt has grown to $31 trillion. But the key metric to look at is debt-to-GDP ratio. And at the end of 2019, the total debt-to-GDP was around 107%, meaning we had more debt than economic activity. Today, that figure is around 129% due to the pandemic-era spending and the Trump-era tax cuts. In 2019, it was the highest ratio since World War II. It had already been steadily increasing due to the Bush-era tax cuts and spending on the Iraq and Afghanistan wars and the Great Recession bailouts. And just for some context, by the way, Japan's debt-to-GDP ratio is 1,300%. And they own the largest amount of U.S. public debt, not China. So let's talk about the types of debt and who actually owns it. Here's what happens. The Treasury Department sells securities to investors in other countries, the most notable being China because of the disproportionate media attention associated with its U.S. debt holdings. But according to the Congressional Budget Office, by the end of 2019, 10 countries with the largest holdings in order were Japan, China, the United Kingdom, Brazil, Ireland, Luxembourg, Switzerland, the Cayman Islands, Hong Kong, and Belgium. Obviously, China isn't the only nation that wants a piece of the pie. So why? Because the United States is still the best investment in the world. Now, over the years, there's been a great deal of fear-mongering about China's U.S. debt holdings, much of it fueled by speculation that China could eventually dump it all and presumably send the U.S. financial system into a spiral. But that's just not how it works. It's actually the reverse. Such a scenario would actually be pretty bad for China's economy. But first, a little perspective. Sure, China holds a lot of our debt, but it only amounts to 3% of our outstanding treasuries. The vast majority of our debt, about two-thirds, is actually held by the American people. So back to China. China's economy has thrived since it began acquiring U.S. debt to support its export economy, which it started to build up at the beginning of this century. In 2000, China owned 60 billion of U.S. treasuries, and now it's just under 1 trillion while Japan is the largest debt holder at just over a trillion. And since 2009, China has been the largest exporter in the world. So that begs the question, would China leverage its treasury holdings to severely damage the U.S. economy? Of course not. It's an easy source of positive return on investment. And there's another aspect to this as well. It's a marketplace where all of this debt is sold. So if they just decided to dump all the treasuries, there would be tons of people and countries and institutions lined up to just go buy the balance of it. So that's not really a thing. The China narrative is a red herring. The bigger concern for U.S. taxpayers shouldn't be its global rivals, but the wealthy from the inside looking to capitalize on the crisis. If the country defaults on its debt, millions of Americans may lose access to certain federal benefits like Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. But here's the deal. The government has never intentionally defaulted, so a lot of this potential fallout to the economy and to people's lives is pretty uncertain. The government, of course, will essentially go line by line and have to prioritize payments. And this is where we can begin to unpack things a little bit because bondholders are betting that they'll be first to secure payments. 
Here's what could happen in this scenario, which is par for the course for America's heavily financialized economy, according to corporatists interviewed by Politico. Quote, A number of prominent financial experts at Bank of America, Barclays, and other major firms are confident that the U.S. will avert a global market meltdown by continuing to pay its bondholders if the Treasury Department crosses the threshold where it can't cover all its other bills. They think the U.S. can do so by withholding funds for things like benefits owed to individual Americans or payments to firms doing business with the government, end quote. It's a truly evil scenario, and one that was tested during the Obama administration by the so-called young guns. Even back then, they were planning on taking care of Wall Street. Politico recently reported that an official, quote, told the Treasury in a 2014 letter that documents prepared by the New York Fed exhaustively detail how the department and the bank would implement any plan to prioritize payments on Treasury bonds, end quote. It goes on to say that Obama's former Treasury Secretary, Jack Lew, confirmed, quote, that officials ran an exercise to see whether the government could physically pay bond payments and nothing else, end quote. In other words, the powerful and well-connected have been pitching this to the Treasury and actually gave this Save the Rich scheme a test drive, knowing full well that ordinary Americans would be left in the lurch. Groups that advocate on behalf of Social Security say the debt limit fight and the GOP's obsession with reducing Social Security spending could be a train wreck for Americans who rely on benefits. Essentially, delayed payments could limit how people pay for health care, food, rent, utilities, and other necessities. The fact that the GOP is trying to disrupt life for millions of Americans is even more grotesque when you consider that two-thirds of people depend on Social Security for half of their income, while 40% rely on those benefits, forget this, 90% of their income. It's even more bizarre when you take into account diseases that come with older age, such as Alzheimer's, that will continue to tick up. People are going to need these benefits more than ever, but we're prepared to pay our bondholders first once the shit hits the fan. And as always, the GOP has used this as fuel for its crusade to pass a balanced budget amendment, which besides being a pipe dream, is terrible policy. Most economic experts agree that it would do more harm than good, and such an amendment would be devastating during future economic crises. Recall the episode that we did on modern monetary theory, which essentially holds that the top currency sovereign nations in the world not only can run deficits to keep the global economy running, they have to. And you don't have to be a proponent of this specific theory to understand this or believe it, mind you. The CBO estimates that interest on our federal debt is about 1.6 of our GDP, or only 7% of the federal budget. These payments help keep the global economy flush and are well within our ability to manage. But if the GOP was so determined to cut spending, there is one obvious place to do it. The military budget consists of nearly 30% of all U.S. spending and more than half of discretionary spending when you add up all the Pentagon spending maintenance of more than 800 military bases worldwide, payroll, military contractors, veteran spending, homeland security, surveillance operations, and more. By comparison, Social Security is actually funded directly by U.S. citizens who pay into it, and the surplus, yes, there's a surplus, is invested into the general funds collected by the government. So the only real unfunded part of the budget is actually the military, which is a third of the budget despite the fact that we're not at war. But you're not going to hear Kevin McCarthy talk about that little nugget of incredibly important information. 
What this so-called crisis has revealed yet again is how federal lawmakers who are backed by the wealthiest corporations in the world are willing and eager to screw the American people for literally no good reason. The whole argument is based on a lie that the government needs to balance its budget like everyone else, states, local government, and the American people, and households, and what have you. But what they don't tell you is that everyone else can take out credit to avoid a short-term crisis, something that they think Uncle Sam should not be entitled to. So that's the nonsense surrounding the debt ceiling crisis. It is all political theater designed to drive towards this concept where we have to balance the budget, which has been proven to be wrongheaded and devastating. Here endeth the lesson.